0: I'm Abigail Beeman, and you're listening to The West Block Podcast. This week on The West Block, vaccine confusion. MRNA vaccines are the preferred vaccine.
1: Every vaccine uh, approved in Canada is both
0: safe and effective. A preferred shot, or the first one you can get. And COVID-19 ravages Alberta. We don't yet know if we have hit the peak of new cases. We have the single greatest public health crisis Alberta has ever seen. We check in with the mayor of the province's biggest city. Plus, the Prime Minister's chief of staff testifies about the military sexual misconduct controversy. I was not given the substance or the details of the allegation. Does it shed any light on what the Prime Minister knew and when? As COVID-19 case numbers remain dangerously high in several parts of this country, last week saw the arrival of 3 million doses of vaccine and hundreds of thousands more Canadians rolled up their sleeves to get their shot. But amid a boost in the number of vaccines hitting Canadian soil, came a jab of confusion.
1: The bottom line for Canadians is the right vaccine for you to take is the very first vaccine that you are offered.
0: That was the line we heard over and over for months, even as worries mounted over blood clots. The clots are very rare, affecting a handful of the approximately 1.7 million Canadians who had the AstraZeneca shot. There are similar concerns over Johnson & Johnson. Both are viral vector vaccines compared to Moderna and Pfizer's mRNA technology. But as more and more Canadians followed that advice and got AstraZeneca, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization gave people pause. What we've said all along is that the mRNA vaccines are the preferred vaccine. A preferred vaccine? What was that government line again? The
1: right vaccine for you to take is the very first one that is offered
2: to you.
0: Reaction was strong. Take that shot, ignore Nassie. And some Canadians were left feeling unsure of their choice. It feels pretty misleading, and I feel like
1: I've been betrayed.
0: Well, is AstraZeneca bad now? Like, should I have waited? Very confusing. Joining me now to unpack the confusion is Alan Bernstein. He is a member of the federal COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force and president and CEO of the global research research organization, CIFAR. He joins us from Toronto. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to dive right in. What do you think of Nancy's messaging around a preferred vaccine and the impact that may have on vaccine confidence?
1: Well, I think it's un- very unfortunate that it's added to some confusion amongst uh, Canadians about which which is the best vaccine to take. Uh, And I feel badly for Canadians, of course. I also feel badly for the members members of NACI. NACI, none of us had heard of NACI before COVID. Um, And it's not surprising. They provide technical advice on an ongoing basis to the provinces and to Health Canada uh, on vaccines. And they're not used to being in the limelight. And we, they are in the limelight now, of course, and so the the advice that they provided, if you look at the tables in that in their document, are very detailed and very mathematical and very sort of a balancing risk and benefit. And they're not used to sort of the nuanced kind of communication that this requires to communicate to the Canadian public, and so they've been sort of caught in the headlights, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, it's unfortunate for Canadians because. The worst thing we could have right now is for people to hesitate to take any of the three vaccines that are, on, that are, are available to us now.
0: All right. And I'd like to ask, you sit on the vaccine task force. I'm curious your thoughts on this issue that is arising about uh, intellectual property and patents over vaccines. Canada has not taken a firm stance, uh, as our neighbours in the United States have. But I'm also wondering if if we're in more of a precarious position, because as you well know, we're not yet making vaccines on on our own soil. What do you think the government should do?
1: Well, we haven't discussed it first of all at the vaccine task force we had a meeting yesterday but it's not been discussed Um, my own view is uh you know if if you think about pills uh, pills are usually given you know drugs are given to people who are sick and and there's not that many given out Uh, you know not everybody has a certain form of cancer or has asthma or what have you but these vaccines are being given to billions of people so I think the waiver on, on the on intellectual property on these vaccines is very important, but mostly symbolically. It's not going to be that easy for a company to say, we're going to scale up and start making 100 million doses of these vaccines. Uh, vaccines are very complicated mixtures of a lot of different chemicals, uh, dozens of different chemicals that have to go in together, have to be approved by the regulator in Canada. That regulator is, is Health Canada. Uh, so it's a very different kettle of fish than just making uh, sort of a generic drug. Um, and so while I think the waiver that, that President Biden's administration announced the other day has very uh, is very important symbolically, it's not going to mean that every drug manufacturer is going to be able to start making you know, the Moderna vaccine or the Pfizer vaccine or the AstraZeneca vaccine tomorrow. They're not. Um, uh, so uh, so whether Canada takes a role, you know, a position on this or not, we'll have to see. I think it would be great if we did personally, uh, because I think there is a, a great symbolic value in it and that um, we are all in this together. The, the, the solidarity around this is very important. And also, of course, we should remember that the original research that paid for the development of these vaccines were paid for by us, were paid for by public funds. Um, and so having a, a, a patent on something that really came out of the public uh, seems a bit of a contradiction to me personally. Uh, uh, so those are my sort of my own views. Um, uh, and I hope that Canada does take a, a strong view on this.
0: All right. And, and finally, I want to ask about the federal council that you chair. I want to make sure I'm getting this title right. It's the Variants of Concern Scientific Advisory Council. To be honest, we haven't heard much about that since it, it got underway a few months ago. I'm wondering what you can tell us about the push to get ahead of variants and whether that lies in securing booster shots or, or, or what else?
1: Yeah, so we've just started to meet a few, uh, about a month ago now. And our, our job is to take kind of the long view of of how, how are we going to, as a country and as a, as a planet, uh, deal with these variants which are arising? And um, uh, what are we gonna do about vaccines and vaccination uh, going on forward for the next uh, few years? And the Vaccine Task Force has also been discussing this, of course. Um, and we've, be- we've begun as a country to negotiate with our suppliers for vaccines and for vaccines against the variants uh, going forward over the next two years or so, uh, and we've been in this, uh, you know, journey before, of course, with flu. You know, we all get the influenza vaccine every year, uh, and every year it's a different vaccine because the influenza virus changes every year. Uh, and so I think we're going to enter into that world now with with the uh, COVID-19 uh, variants of concern. And the ones that we know about now, the big ones, of course, are the ones out of the UK, which have really taken over. They're very transmissible. It's a very transmissible variant. And so sort of taken over in Canada. Uh, luckily, the one out of, out of South Africa, the B1351, is still present in very low numbers here. And it appears to be more resistant to the vaccines that we have. Uh, and so we're going to have to design new, vac- new vaccines against that variant. I think one of the advantages of the RNA vaccines, of the Pfizer vaccine and of the Moderna vaccine, is it's pretty easy to tweak those vaccines and change them, and sort of a plug-and-play kind of model, uh, so that we can uh, we can alter them to deal with these variants. Uh, but it means we're all going to have to have boosters. Maybe we don't know that for sure yet. Uh, uh, come either in the fall or in the winter of 2022.
0: And that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for your insights, Alan Bernstein. You're welcome. And a note, the West Block requested interviews with a number of NASI members, including the chairs who declined. We had an interview lined up with a committee member, but Nassi stepped in and said that person wasn't allowed to speak publicly about the committee's recommendations. Late last week, the Defence Committee questioned the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, about the allegations of sexual misconduct in the military and who knew what and when in the Prime Minister's office. To talk about that and the latest developments in the COVID-19 pandemic, Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Minister, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Good morning, Abigail.
0: We'll get to other topics, but I want to start with what we learned on Friday. Katie Telford said that she didn't know the nature of the complaint against uh, former Chief of the Defence Staff, Jonathan Vance, she was aware of the possibility that it could have been sexual in nature. Do you think she should have told the Prime Minister that such a complaint existed?
2: uh, I think Katie Telford uh, told the Defence Committee what she said publicly since the beginning of this, uh, that she was informed by a member of the Prime Minister's staff that there uh, had been an allegation uh, made concerning General Vance. It was made to... uh, the uh, ombudsman at National Defence. The challenge when Privy Council officials properly followed up uh, is that they weren't able to get more information. So the nature of the allegation and the capacity of the independent senior public servants at Privy Council who normally look into these kind of circumstances, um, their ability to do so was hampered. Ms. Telford uh, said nothing new before the committee. She answered all of the questions from the opposition MPs. Um, And I think, Abigail, it's important to know, and I've known Katie Telford for many years. I worked with her when we were in opposition. We were the third party in opposition before the election in 2015. She has consistently uh, and in a very public and a very rigorous way uh, ensured that workplaces are safe, that people are not subject to harassments in the workplace. So her leadership within our government has been very important on these issues um, and I think she, uh, she was very forthcoming with the Defence Committee.
0: I hear that you stand by Ms. Telford, but respectfully, you didn't answer the question. Do you think that she should have told the Prime Minister that she was aware of a complaint?
2: No, because, Abigail, she didn't know the nature of the complaint. Uh, there was no further information. Um, and the people that are properly mandated to look into these matters are the senior officials In the Privy Council office, there's a Deputy Secretary to the Cabinet who's responsible for senior personnel, Uh, Ms. Sherman. I worked with her on the circumstances, for example, at Rideau Hall. Uh, She is the professional, independent, senior public servant that can look into these things. And when she followed up with the ombudsman, unfortunately, she was not given any further information on which she could have conducted the uh, the appropriate investigations.
0: All right, moving on to COVID-19, and I'd like to focus on Alberta. I'm wondering if you can tell us what you're hearing from the Premier about what's needed, and also whether you're working on any plans to send healthcare workers or or the military like your government helped out with in Ontario.
2: So you're, you're absolutely right. We're obviously very concerned, as all Canadians are, with the COVID cases in Alberta, with the number of cases and for many days now. I know the Prime Minister had a very constructive conversation uh, with Premier Kenny late last week. Uh, my colleague, the Health Minister, Patty Hajdu, uh spoke also to her Alberta counterpart. Um, Dr. Tam is in constant touch with Dr. Hinshaw, who is the Chief Public Health Officer in Alberta. The government, the Prime Minister reiterated to Premier Kenny, as I have in my conversations with him, that obviously – uh, if the government of Canada, either with the Canadian Armed Forces, the Canadian Red Cross, uh, Statistics Canada, for example, can help with surge capacity around contact tracing, the provinces are very aware of the suite of uh, of measures that we have to, to support them and to assist them. And obviously, if the government of Alberta asks for any assistance, uh, we'll do whatever it takes to support them and to support the people of Alberta.
0: All right. And I'd like to pivot to long-term care. National standards were a promise that was made uh, back in September in the throne speech. Your government recommitted to that in the budget. But back in October, you said that you were prepared to move forward with national standards in a matter of weeks, not months. And here we are seven months later without them. So I'm wondering what stalled and how close are you to making that a reality?
2: Uh, So it's obviously a huge uh, priority for us. We think it's a priority for all Canadians. My mother had been in a long-term care facility in Ontario until she passed away a year and a half ago. So like many families, we understand and share the concern people have in terms of providing the best care possible. Uh, You'll note that the budget uh, a a few weeks ago uh, offered $3 billion of federal investment to provinces that want to work with us on establishing best practices, national standards. Uh, I had a conversation with a Conservative Premier this week. Uh, He is more than happy to work with us on national standards. The Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador himself, uh, a surgeon, a doctor, has said to other Premiers that there's a lot of merit in collaborating with the Government of Canada. And we're prepared, Abigail, obviously, to put up considerable uh, investments to help provinces raise those standards. Uh, The National Standards Council and an independent group of experts are preparing what might be national best practices, standards, benchmarks, call it what you want. These shouldn't be developed by politicians, but by experts in infection prevention, infection control, um, and and caring for, for persons that are elderly or that are vulnerable. So those standards are being worked on Um, And we have a number of provinces that are telling us they're more than happy to collaborate with us and and to see federal investments go to improve those standards in their provinces.
0: But if that all sounds so positive, why are we seven or eight months post-original promise without anything tangible?
2: Well, I wouldn't say there's not anything tangible. $3 billion uh, confirmed in a budget two or three weeks ago, I think is quite tangible, the National Standards Council deciding to work with a panel of experts to quickly develop those standards, again, is something tangible. And my conversation with at least three premiers in the last week tells me that they're ready to announce uh, joint efforts with us very soon on how we can collaborate to, uh, to set those national standards. And we're going to proceed, Abigail, with jurisdictions Uh, that want to join us. So we obviously hope and think that all provinces would. Why wouldn't you want to take federal money to help improve the standards of care you're offering people in long-term care homes? But we'll start with those that are willing, and hopefully the others will join us as well.
0: All right. Well, I know a lot of families will be watching for that. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for your time, Minister. Alberta has been reporting the highest per capita case numbers, not just in Canada, but across North America. Premier Jason Kenney announced tougher restrictions, including a doubling of fines. More come into force tonight. Many say Kenney didn't move fast enough, while on the other side, thousands have pushed back and taken part in anti-lockdown demonstrations and gatherings.
2: We must not and we will not force our doctors and nurses to decide who gets care and who doesn't.
0: This is disgusting.
2: And that is why we must act now to stop the spike.
0: Concerns heard in Ottawa with an emergency debate Wednesday night. Thanks to the bumbling, stumbling joke that our provincial government has become, we have the single greatest public health crisis Alberta has ever seen. People need to eat. So it's very paternalistic to suggest that People who might not be following restrictions are doing so from a place of just sort of like bourgeois contempt for the law. And joining me now to talk about the situation in the province's biggest city is Mayor Nahid Nenshi. Mayor Nenshi, thank you so much for being with us today.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Abigail. And and I apologize if you could hear the sound of my eyes rolling so hard uh, when I heard some of that parliamentary debate or what passes for debate in our parliament these days.
0: Well, let's start there. Uh, What what did you make of that debate? And and tell us what what you think needs to be done to turn things around in in Calgary.
3: Well, I mean, look, uh, I love politics. I am a politician. I love punditry. That's what I did before. And many people say that's what I do now. Um, But ultimately, we're in an emergency right now. This is a crisis. And as I've said before, When your house is on fire, get out your kids, your photo albums and your dog. Don't stand around the house trying to figure out who's to blame for the faulty wiring or determine whether it'll look good to your base or not if you actually leave your house, just get out. And fundamentally that's where we need to be focused right now. So for once, it's time for us to forget about scoring political points and focus very hard on what is it gonna take to flatten the curve what got us to this point and how are we going to continue to save lives because ultimately yes people are getting vaccinated we're going to vaccinate everyone over the age of 12 starting Monday which is amazing but the rate of growth the rate of exponential growth of this disease in Alberta across Canada actually Alberta's numbers are amongst the worst in the world the Canada's are also amongst the worst in the world across the uh, across the country on average and in most regions The rate of growth of the disease is such that vaccinations alone aren't going to get us out of this. So we've got to be able to be disciplined. We've got to be able to follow the rules and restrictions. And we've got to be able to keep doing the work where we've been doing for so long to get to the light at the end of that tunnel. And by the way, those people at those anti-mask protests, let's not kid ourselves, they're not people who need to eat. They are people who are marching in thinly veiled white nationalist supremacist anti-government protests, and they don't deserve that kind of sympathy.
0: All right. I'm thinking back to the headlines that you made in 2013 with the floods when you talked about not being able to enact the Darwin law. Given those comments that you just made, are there some similarities there? Do you wish that the Darwin law was enactable now?
3: Well, here's the problem. It's that these folks are not just flagrantly putting themselves at risk. They are putting others at risk. The people on the river during the flood, well, if they drowned, they drowned. But these folks are not only putting other people at risk of infection. You know, in their videos recently, they've been coughing and hacking and saying they have bronchitis. We're not that stupid. But in addition, they are the ones who are running the risk of filling up our uh, hospital beds, of filling out our healthcare system, despite the fact that they did this to themselves. So no, I don't have that kind of sympathy that we heard in that clip.
0: And uh, Mayor Nenshi, I know you've been frustrated with the courts for having tickets thrown out and and you talked about having the courts crack down harder. I'm wondering if you can tell us what conversations you've had and whether you feel there will be progress on that front.
3: Yeah, you know, I certainly don't want to impinge on important principles of our democracy like prosecutorial independence. But when I hear stories like our police chief telling city council that the provincial government said slow down on the tickets, the courts are very busy. Certainly doesn't help the women and men in the police service do their job very well, and it emboldens the protesters. So I'm really happy to hear brand new language from the province of Alberta, Ministry of Justice, saying they're going to crack down harder. As a matter of fact, uh, the court just yesterday, late yesterday, issued a preemptive injunction against these rallies, which gives us a lot more powers to go after those leaders, and I fully expect that's what will happen.
0: Uh, And and Mayor, can you tell us about your call with the Prime Minister this week? Was there anything you asked him for specifically or anything he offered?
3: Yeah, you know, it was very kind of him to call. You you don't get a call from the Prime Minister every day. Uh, So we talked about a couple of things. We talked about the importance of the immediate response and what's needed there. And, And frankly, I think we're under control. The one area where I'm a bit concerned is as the supply of vaccine has grown, You know, we spent so much time wasting time debating about how we could get more vaccine when we all knew that soon we would run into a problem where we'd have so much vaccine, the issue would be distribution, getting it into people's arms. And so I think we're going to be okay, but when I hear stories of people waiting two or three hours at our vaccine clinic in downtown Calgary, I think we can be more efficient. And so I did ask them if there were any resources the federal government could help us with in the actual putting it into people's arms side and we're going to talk more about how to manage that there may be some policy changes to allow a broader swath of workers to administer the vaccine that we might need Uh, so there was that and then but our biggest conversation was really what comes next calgary has fallen further and harder than most parts of canada and going forward uh we're going to have a long climb out of this post-pandemic and investments in downtown calgary investments in economic development so that the economic engine of the country can get back on its feet uh, are going to be really important. And so we spend a bit of time on that as well.
0: And finally, Mayor, I, I can't let you go without asking you about your next steps. Does handling the pandemic make you interested in a provincial or federal run?
3: Uh, my immediate next step is uh, I hear that I might join Global's election night coverage this year, so uh, very excited about that. Um, I'll be very spicy, though, so you may want to uh, not Amazing. consider that. Um, no, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, I am doing something I never do. I pride myself to be a strategist, to always know the next moves on the chessboard, and I have no idea. I know that uh, when I'm finished this job in about six months. I have a long to-do list, but when I'm finished in about six months, I will uh, find a way to serve. That's in my blood, but probably outside of elected office for now.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll leave it there. Mayor Nahid Nenshi, appreciate your time.
3: Thank you so much. And really everyone across Canada, stay safe, stay home. We're still saving lives.
0: And that's it for this week's edition of the West Block. Thank you for joining us. Just before we say goodbye, I want to wish all the moms out there a very happy Mother's Day, including my own. Hopefully the last socially distant Mother's Day for all of us. Mercedes Stevenson will be back next Sunday. I'm Abigail Thiemann. Have a good week ahead.